Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, lead pastor Mike Yearly begins a brand new three-part series entitled A Fresh Look at the Ancient Church. And today he'll bring us the first message of this series entitled The Start of Something New. Well, good morning. Welcome to the fall. <laughs> I know it's a couple weeks early, but I'm, I'm just cheating. I'm getting in early. I, I love this uh, cooler weather. It's great. Is it over yet? <laughs> I've almost made it through one of your summers. Uh, <laughs> I'm even dressing different. I got a long sleeve shirt on. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for the fall. Hey, let's, uh, if you haven't done so already, well, first of all, welcome to Rocky Peak. If you're a, a, a visitor here, your first time here, I'm glad you found us and we're excited you're here. Inside of the bulletin is a white message note sheet that we use every week to help us kind of go through our teaching and time in God's Word. And so if you haven't found that yet, go ahead and pull it out um, because that'll help you today to follow along. Let's go ahead and uh, pray together, and uh, we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at Rocky Peak. God, we are your people, and we sense you moving in our, in our midst, and we're excited as we go into the fall to see what the next, kind of next stage, next phase of our journey is. And so, well, we're definitely, um, we're lifting our sails, we're setting them to you, we're asking you to blow your wind uh, the direction you want us to go and take us where you want us. We pray this in your name, Amen. Well, today we're starting a new series, as you can see, Doing Life Together, and uh, it's a fresh look at the ancient church. And I want to tell you where we're going this fall, just an overview of the fall. We're actually going to be doing two series this fall. Um, the, the first series is this one, uh, and, and the, really the, the whole point of this series is to say, well, what does it mean to be a church? I mean, like, what's this church thing all about? When, when God started this movement that's called the church, what was in his mind's eye? What was his vision for it? And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be going back to the New Testament to say, um, to take kind of a fresh look at the ancient church and say, well, what were the priorities? What were their instincts? Uh, how did they do church? And, and how can we model that in our lives? And then the second series will start in October, and it's called uh, The Company of the Committed, and it's Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And, and so if the first series is kind of putting a target on the wall saying, this is what we're trying to be as a church, the second series is, how do we get there? What does it take to become a church like that? And we'll talk more about that when that time comes. But today, in this opening message of this series, uh, it's called The Start of Something New. And what I want to do, it's going to be a lot of fun, is we're going to go back to the opening day of the ancient church. I mean, you realize there was a time when there wasn't a church, right? And then there wasn't a church one day, and then they opened shop the next day. And the church was born. And so we want to go back to opening day of the ancient church. And, and we want to see what happened when the Holy Spirit showed up and the movement started. And what were the instincts and priorities of this brand new movement that were really kind of the DNA of Jesus being downloaded into these group of people. And, and what happened, because I think it, has, it's, it, it kind of has some hints or clues as to what we're to be about as a church uh, here at Rocky Peak. And so um, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Now, if you've been a Christian a while, you may be familiar with this passage. If you're brand new at this, and a lot of, as a lot of you are, this will be a whole new story, so I can kind of make it up as I go. <laughs> Let me set the stage. We're going to be looking towards the end of the chapter, but I want to just tell the story, okay? I just want to take us back there, take a fresh look at this, this ancient church. Jesus left planet Earth, you remember, 
And he told his disciples, his closest followers, he said, guys, I want you to hang out in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. Now, he didn't tell them how long to hang out. I don't know if you've ever had God tell you to wait on something. You just need to wait. And so your next question is, how long? And it, in my life, my life experience, usually he doesn't say how long. He just says, like, no, just wait. <laughs> it's like, bummer. And, and so, so he says, wait there till the Spirit comes. Well, now, put yourself in their mindset. He talked a lot about this, the Holy Spirit who is going to come, who is going to be this, like, replacement Jesus, this mentor in their lives, and how amazing he was going to be and so on. But they never met the Spirit. They didn't know what it was going to look like. Now, think of it. We know the story. A lot of us do. What happens, Acts 2, and the Spirit comes, and what a crazy day it was. They didn't know that. All they knew is they were supposed to wait until the Spirit came, whatever that looks like. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and every day they get up, and they go and hang out at a house together, and they pray. Day one, and day two, and day three, and well, I guess we're supposed to hang out, you know, and you know, they probably told stories about Jesus. So remember the time he made fun of Peter, and you know, and that you know, kind of thing. Oh, remember the time he pushed Andrew off the boat, and, and, and they're just kind of reminiscing, and, and every day just showing up, okay, you know, so, you know, it's another day. I wonder how long it's going to be. I don't know. Well, how will we know when he comes? Well, I don't know, but Jesus said, wait, we'll probably recognize him. And you see what I'm saying? They didn't know it was coming. And all of a sudden, it comes to the day of Pentecost. Now, the Feast of Pentecost is one of the three great pilgrim feasts of Judaism. And so the people from, Jews from all over the world would travel back, and the whole population of Jerusalem would swell and get huge, and they'd do this week-long feast. And so then comes the day of Pentecost. And so there's pilgrims from all over the world there. But it's a national holiday. It was a Sunday in June that year. And so they get up, and they... They go to the house like every other day and they're hanging out together and praying and just doing what they did. They had no idea that this was the day shop was opening for the ancient church. And all of a sudden it happened. They'll never forget that day. The first thing they remember was this eerie sound of a violent wind filling the house. Years later, they would be able to recall that sound, a hurricane force type sound, wind. And then it came. It was like an upside-down campfire coming from the ceiling. Flames of fire filling the room. They scared them to death at first, but it wasn't hot, but they could see the flames coming down in everyone's heads. And all of a sudden, the Spirit showed up, and it was like a day they could never experience. The presence of God filled the room. It was so thick, you could cut it with a knife. Years later, they would search for words to describe what it felt like to be in the presence of God, and the best they could come up with was it was like being a cup, and it just got filled up. And so that became the way they began to talk about the Holy Spirit in the early church. It was like you're being filled with the Spirit, like you're a cup, and just like God's getting poured in, you know, and you're just overflowing. And that's what it was like. And all of a sudden, it began to dawn on them. All the things that Jesus had said for all these years, all the things he taught them that never made any sense. In that moment, it all got clear why Jesus had to die the prophecies he talked about, the fulfillment of prophecy. Have you ever had one of those aha moments in your life where something in the word of God just comes, you get it? It's like they just had a huge aha moment. And they're so excited. And they begin to just praise God and thank God for what he's done in Jesus. And, but the weirdest thing happened, probably surprised them most of all. As they began to praise God, they're just going crazy. Out of their mouth, instead of their native tongue, came different languages, languages they'd never learned. Peter's speaking one, and Andrew's speaking another, and Nathaniel is speaking another. And they burst out in the street, and then they're just praising God. And a crowd comes, coming. all these Jews had swollen into Jerusalem for the pilgrim feast. 
They hadn't heard their native tongue in weeks or so. They've been traveling, you know. And all of a sudden, all these people speaking their language, and there's this weird ruckus going on. God obviously wanted to gather a crowd. It was a great way of doing it. Everyone started coming together. They were probably near the temple courts. Huge crowds coming. What's going on? What's this going, what's going on? And Peter decides, you know what? I think it's time to preach. And he gets up and he starts telling the story of Jesus and how he's the Messiah and how they killed the wrong guy. You know, that was a big mistake. But God's doing something new and what you see here, the Holy Spirit coming, it's, a, it's the fulfillment of ancient prophecy and guess what? You can get on the ground floor of this new movement. You too can receive this Spirit in your life and He can change your life too. And every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. And Peter preached to him and 3,000 people responded to the message that day and the ancient church opened shop. It was opening day of the ancient church. But it was kind of like a Nordstrom so no one knew what to do. They'd never done church before. These people have never been to church. What's a church? What are we supposed to do? We don't need pastors, no seminaries, no books, how to do it. What do we do? But you know what? It didn't even matter. Because as the Holy Spirit came into their life and downloaded the DNA of Jesus into them, it's like instinctively they knew what they're supposed to do. They were like, they were like young geese who didn't have to be taught to fly south. They were like young salmon who somehow just knew it's time to swim upstream of all things. They were like those crazy little penguins that are born far from water and four months old go and just jump in. Somehow know how to swim. It's like these were new baby Christians, but they had the DNA of Jesus. No one had to tell them what to do. They just knew what to do. And the coolest thing for us as we stand back 2,000 years later is we get to watch what they did and say, oh, so that's what church is all about. See, that's, when the Holy Spirit shows in a place, when the DNA of Jesus kicks in, what does it look like? Oh, it looks like that. It looks like Acts 2. So let's, let's look there and see what he says. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Now, we're picking it up at the end of this story. Peter is up. He's finishing his sermon. 2.36. So he's finishing up this sermon, and now he's going for his clothes. He's about to make the ask. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and that means like head of the universe. And Christ. That means the Greek word for Messiah. He, he says, okay, guys, here's the bottom line. The guy that you killed a month and a half ago, turns out he runs the universe. <laughs> you think you've done some stupid things in your life? <laughs> you got to wonder, like, how are they feeling right about now? The Messiah we've been waiting for hundreds of years? We killed the Messiah? Like, like, talk about having a bad day. And so, look, it says, when the people heard this in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. I guess so. I guess so. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, well, brothers, what should we do? I mean, what do you suggest? I mean, we're like dead. We're goners. We just killed the creator of the universe. You know, it's not looking so good for us. What do you think we should do? And Peter says, okay, 
Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to turn around, admit you made a mistake, and you need to be, become a follower of the guy you killed. You need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And guess what? You get two things. First, you get forgiveness of sins. And this is what Jesus offers to every one of us that comes to him. We give our life to Jesus. He offers us total amnesty from every crime against the king of the universe we've ever committed. Isn't that amazing? What an offer. And then he says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself will come and invade your life. The DNA of Jesus will be placed in you. He will make you a new person. Now, that is an offer. You can see why business was good, you know? Look at verse 40. And so with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, why is it so corrupt? Well, because they just killed the Messiah. See, that's the thing. And it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. You know, we're doing a baptism today, Zuma, right? Because why? Because Jesus said to, this is the initiation right into the church. It's like your membership, you know? This is what you go through for membership in the early church. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, here's the thing. So the brand new baby Christians don't know how to do church, but I want you to, I want to, I want you to see the instincts and the priorities that kick into the ancient church right away. No one's there telling them to do these things. I just want you to see, when the DNA of Jesus is birthed in a person's life, you watch what their priorities start happening. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. That is Bible talk for top priority, okay? They, they, okay, they, they made certain things top priority, and we're going to see four things that they made a top priority right away, like the penguins jumping in the water. They just knew to do this. Okay, number one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? Now, that's number one. Somehow, instinctively, they knew that in this new thing, this called the church, we're still on page one. (laughs) You think I wasn't watching. Okay, they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, well, what's that? Well, that's just, they instinctively knew if they were going to become like Jesus, they needed to know more about Jesus. And the apostles were the people who were going to tell them, here's how, how it is. Here's how Jesus was. Here's how he said to live, okay? So that was number one. Secondly, to the fellowship. Now, not to fellowship. It's not like we committed ourselves to hanging out and eating Krispy Kremes, okay? It's to the fellowship. Uh, in other words, to the new community of believers, You see, they instinctively knew that to become like Jesus, they needed to hang out together. That they couldn't become like Jesus by themselves. They were committed, devoted, top priority to hanging out together. Next thing was to the breaking of bread. Well, this means a couple things. We'll see in a couple of minutes. It clearly means they had a lot of potlucks. They hung out at each other's house. They shared meals together. They went out to Starbucks. They went to Mimi's. They, they, They had meals together. They broke bread. Okay, but also most scholars believe that this phrase, breaking bread, involves something else. It was the taking of the Lord's Supper in communion, that they would, they would share the Lord's Supper together. And then the, fa- the fourth thing they committed themselves was to prayer. Remember in the week to ten days before, while they're waiting in Jerusalem, before the Spirit showed up, they spent a lot of time praying, God, what do you want us to do? You know, we want to follow you, show us. And after the Spirit came up, it continued to be a priority. What do you want us to do? Coming before him in prayer. 
Now notice, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Um, I call this the signature of the supernatural. When God shows up and does only he, what he can, it's like God saying, this is my movement. Let me sign my name to it. It's just the signature of the supernatural. We'll talk about that in week three of this series. But notice in verse 44, all the believers were together. They had everything in common and selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Another one of their instincts was that somehow we're family now. That we need to take care of each other. And they even went, they took it so seriously, they'd even sell their stuff when they needed to help each other out. A new sense of love. We'll talk more about that later. And then every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together. Now, Catch this. Remember it said they were committed to the fellowship, right? Devoted to the fellowship. Well, now it's spelling out what that looks like. It says every day they continued to meet together, but they did it in a couple ways. They met together, first of all, in the temple courts. So that, that's like large group settings. Okay, that, that's like, I call it big church. Like here on the weekends, we do big church. This is like the temple court. We can all come together. It's a big church thing, right? But they didn't just meet in big church. They met in small churches. Look, The next line says, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They hung out in large group settings, hung out in small group settings. And it says, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and they were praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Everyone else is like, wow, this is really cool what God's doing. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so more and more people we're coming to believe that this guy, Jesus, that they killed a month and a half ago, he really was the Lord and Christ, and whoa, we better get right, you know? And so they, the, the, the community was growing. I think it's always a sign of a healthy church when the community is growing, when God is adding to their number, people who are coming to realize for the first time who Jesus is and giving their lives to him. So, so that's the passage, okay? Now, now you can turn your page. So here's what I want to do. You notice this section. It's called Doing Life Together, the Instincts and Priorities of the Early Church. Remember I talked about the penguins and the geese and uh, what was the other? Salmon. Remember that? How They just had instinctively knew what to do. And so here's what I think we can do. I think we can go back to opening day of ancient church and say, what did these new believers, without anyone telling them, instinctively know what to do? It's a clue to us about what we're supposed to be about here at Rocky Peak, okay? So three things, three priorities I want to focus on today. We'll focus on other ones as we go through the series. But three focus, uh, three, three priorities that they right away said these need to be top priorities in our life. Number one is the apostles' teaching. Now we saw this, right? They devoted themselves in verse, chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. Now don't let, you know, don't let that word run, you know, get past you. Devoted themselves. I mean, this was serious business. That they were really hungry to know about Jesus. And so they devoted themselves. So they would get together, temple courts, they get together homes, and they, the apostles would teach them, here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus taught. Here's how we're supposed to live. They were devoted. Somehow they realized that they couldn't grow up and be like Jesus without hearing more about Jesus. They needed what we would call the Word of God in their life, you see? There in your note sheet, there's a great verse. Uh, It's a very famous verse. It's called the Great Commission, if you're new at this. 
It's the last thing that Jesus says to his leaders before he ascends into heaven after his resurrection. And uh, it's the last thing in the book of Matthew, at least, that's recorded. And I want you to follow and look what it says. It says, Jesus said, all authority, remember, he's ready to leave planet Earth now. He looks at his guys, he says, guys, here's the deal. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm in charge of the universe now. Okay, that's what that means. Uh, I'm the top dog, and I'm the big dog in the universe. All authority on heaven, I am king of everything. Heaven and earth, I'm in charge. The Father has now put me in charge of the universe. Okay, that's what it means. And he says, therefore, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. I think a better word for us today would be followers. What's What's a disciple? It's someone who follows someone else to learn how to do life the way they do it. We make followers of all the nations. And I want you to baptize them, sort of the initiation rite. I want you to baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then catch this last line. This is, I think, one of the most important lines and one we often have neglected, even evangelical churches. We've heard the first part, go into all the nations and, and make disciples. And so we go out and share Jesus with people and hope that they make a decision to follow. But we've often neglected the second half of this commission, what Jesus said. He said, catch this, and teaching them to what? Okay, say it again. Teaching them to obey. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means to learn how to obey what he said. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so these new believers, they're born again. The DNA of Jesus kicks in. They're hungry to be taught. They want to know more. Some of you have recently come to Christ here at Rocky Peak. I know you. I've heard your stories. I've got your emails. I've met you at the desserts. And and one of the things that happens is like, you'll say this, you'll say something like this. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like I got to be there every week. It's like every week. I just, I, I got to be there. And it's like, God's just showing me stuff every week. I've got one guy, he's not here today, but he's normally here at this time. He sits about third row right there. I mean, it's like every day, he's just locked on, brand new believer. Why? Because the DNA of Jesus is kicking in, you see? And he's hungry to know more about this man, Jesus, and what he taught and how he used to live. And so the early church, you see that. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, in my mind, it's just so clear that one of the marks of a healthy church is a healthy church gathers around the word of God. A healthy church is hungry to hear from God. How to learn how to obey Jesus, you see? And that's why here at Rocky Peak, every week, we spend such a significant time. We don't just do like a 10-minute sermon thought for the day, you know? Be good, be nice, see you later, bye. You know? It's why we bring our Bibles and it's why we take some time. We say, let's really unpack this Bible thing. Let's look at the apostles' teaching. How are we going to live to follow and obey Jesus? You see, it's one of the marks of a healthy church. But here's, here's the thing. I don't think the weekends are enough. I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough to come once and hear a 45-minute message or 50 or an hour or however long. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> depending on how the spirit's moving, <laughs> um, or I'm not thinking. Uh, I don't think it's enough. I've seen a lot of people come to church for years, hear the message, go home, hear the message, go home, hear the message, go home, and not a lot of change takes place. So I've often thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a way that we could not just study it like 
on the weekends, but wouldn't it be awesome if there was a way that we could kind of on our own study the apostles' teaching? And, and, and not only just hear it on the weekend, but go home, maybe study it some more ourselves and really think about how it applies to our life. And then wouldn't it be cool if there was a way we could get together like in smaller little churches and we could say, here's what I'm learning about obeying Jesus. What are you learning about obeying Jesus? This part's making sense, but this part isn't. I don't get this. How's it working for you? And we got together in smaller groups and we talked about how can we learn to obey Jesus in this area? Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Welcome to life groups. Welcome to life groups. Life groups aren't a program. Life groups are the church being the church. Coming together, devoted to the apostles' teaching, saying, how do we learn how to follow Jesus? Number two, the second thing that they were committed to, they were devoted to, the priority just came out. No one had to teach them. They were devoted to the fellowship. In other words, to the com- this new community of believers. We saw that. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, verse chapter 242, then devoted to the fellowship. The interesting thing was, is that as we saw, they, they met together in two ki- different types of settings. They met together in the large group, the temple courts, but they also got together in homes, didn't they? Remember we read that? So big church, small church. And if you stop and think about it, it makes so much sense because there's certain things that work so much better in a big group and there's other things that work so much better in a small group. Like, for example, uh, we come together here in the weekends. What works well here? Well, uh, worship works really well in a large group. Uh, it's just so much better. It's the energy, the excitement, the sense of we're all together, the power of it. I think worship generally works better in a large group setting, okay? Not that you can't do it in a small group. It's just more powerful in a large group. Uh, here's another one, teaching. Like, we can gather together and we can say, hey, let's look at opening day of the ancient church and we can unpack this and study it together. This setting works really well for teaching, doesn't it? Re- really good. Uh, if you went to a small group and the guy says, okay, I've prepared a 45-minute talk, and you look at, look at him like, I think we're getting a new group here. I'm, I'm out of here, you know? You know, you need to go get like, be a pastor, get a church, you know, or something like that. And so we're not going to go here in a home and let me sip our coffee and look across you in the room five feet away and let you talk to me for 45 minutes. It's not going to work very well, you know? I'm amazed you let me get away with it here. But just think of it there, you know? Okay. So it works really good for that. But, but the, the big group really doesn't work for a lot of other things. Like, like for example, getting to know one another. Like, like you, could, you could come here to Rocky Peak for years. Some of you have, and you still don't really know anybody. Well, you know a few people. You know the five people around you because you all sit in the same seat every week. And you have that quality conversation. Hey, bud, how you doing? Good. How was your week? Yeah, me good, too. Yeah. Did you see the game last night? Yeah, I did. Hey, okay, all right, you know. Well, that's not really going to change a life, right? Those kind of relationships are going to change a life. And so, so being in, like, big church is great for certain things. It's really bad for getting to know one another. It's really bad for praying together. You know, really, we have a good group prayers and stuff. It's not the same as getting, a, you know, being a small group and really praying and Spending some real long time doing that. That doesn't work so well. Well, how about if there's needs in the body, you know, that kind of people, are they really going to share with you the deepest needs of their heart on a, you know, weekend service? And when someone says, how are you doing? What you really want to hear here is fine, right? You don't really want to hear like, you know, a laundry list. How are you doing? Well, I mean, my life's falling apart. I mean, it's like, 
you know, it's like you can't really get away with that in a large group so well, right? But you need some place to tell what's really going on in your life. And so the early church instinctively knew this. It's temple courts, it's homes. It's temple courts, it's homes. They needed it both. They were committed. And so wouldn't it be cool if there was a way that we could take a big church like Rocky Peak, you know, with thousands of people, wouldn't it be great if there was a way that we could take a big church and break it into small churches to where we could really get to know each other? Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, we got a way, don't we? We call them life groups. What's the third thing that they were committed to? The third thing, the early church instinctively, like the geese, like the salmon, like the penguins, just kind of knew what to do, is the third thing, priority was the needs of the body, the needs of the church. They were committing to meeting each other's needs. Look at this in Acts 2. Acts 2 and verse... uh, 45. And it was real practical. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had what? Need, right? So they, they instinctively knew that they were connected to one another. They need to meet each other's needs. And no one came along. Uh, can you imagine Peter go walking along to, you know, 3,000 people? By the way, if there's a need in your area, you're supposed to meet it. Like, no, they just kind of instinctively knew this. Now, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. The last night that Jesus was with his disciples before he was arrested, he said, guys, this is the way it's going to work. In the future, uh, how are people going to really know that you're my followers? How many people, how are they going to really know that my DNA has been passed to you? How's that really going to work? He says, here's how you're going to know. He says, by this, all men shall know that you're my followers, that you have what? Oh my gosh, one person in this whole place knows the answer? We have got to do this better than that. By this, all men shall know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Jesus said the telltale mark that someone's been born again, the Holy Spirit's come in their life, that they're a follower of Jesus, the DNA has been transferred, the telltale mark is... Love. People care about each other. They didn't have to be instructed. They just did. But how do you get to know the needs? This is a huge church here at Rocky Peak. How do we, how are we even going to know the needs? Not going to happen in a weekend service. This week, my wife Hurt her back. Happens every few years. She's been down all week on narcotics. And how are you going to know that? It, unless I'm the pastor. <laughs> I just tell you all. And that way you can quit asking me, where's Lynn? Um, just save myself so much time. <laughs> it's not in my notes, by the way. Um, just sometimes just brilliant things come, you know. Um, How's someone going to know your wife is down when she goes down? How is someone going to know that your son has just picked and picked up for drugs? How's someone going to know that you just developed a serious disease? How is someone going to know you just lost your job? How's some, how are people going to know that? 
wouldn't, there be, wouldn't it be great if we had a way here we could break this church down so we know each other's needs and could love each other and meet each other's needs? It's a little, do you ever feel a little overwhelmed in a group this size? So there's so many needs. I'm like, I can't meet them all, so I'm not going to meet any. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way we could break it down and say, no, your primary job is to help take care of the needs of these 10 people. That's your job. You know, we'll assign other people to other things. Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, well, guess what? We got away, don't we? So when people say to me, well, Mike, why do you want to make life groups the hub of Rocky Peak? It's a real easy answer. Because I want the church to be the church. I want the church devoted to the apostles' teaching, rolling up their sleeves and saying, how do we obey Jesus? I want the church getting together and really knowing each other and building significant friendships, iron sharpening iron friendships, encouraging each other to pursue on and to follow Jesus. I want the fellowship. I want to see a church that knows needs and meets needs and is known as this is a place that loves one another. And I know it can't happen here at weekend services. That much of what it means to be a church can't happen here in the weekend service. As we go back to take a fresh look at the ancient church, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to say, men and women, this is what it means to be a church. And it can't happen at weekend services. Oh, parts of it can happen, but not most of it. And so we've got to find a way to be the church. And the way to be the church is to break it down, to meet in the temple courts, to meet in homes or Coco's, or Starbucks, or all the different places y'all are meeting. Okay. Now, before we, uh, before we wrap up, there's one more section there. I think it's back page. <laughs> Doing life together at Rocky Peak. What's it take to join a life group? In a few minutes, the service is going to be over. We'll have an amazing special number at the end. You'll really love that. And, uh, and then we're going to go, we'll take an offering and pay the bills and go home. But on your way out, you're going to pass by all these booths that are kind of strategically set up there to snare you. <laughs> and, and so you're going to have a decision like, well, do you join a life group, you know? You've heard a pitch. Are you going to join a life group? You, you've got to make that decision. Well, I think it's only fair that you should know what it's going to take to join a life group. What does it take? You know, what, what does it require of you? And some of you have been at Rocky Peak for a long time, and you kind of know some of the things. And others of you are brand new. You've never been in a life group. You see, don't know. And then guess what? There's some new things for all of us. And so let me tell you, three things it's going to take. Number one, it's going to take a 10-week commitment. If you join a life group, you say, I'm in. I want to be in a community like that. I, I want to be a part of this. Um, it's going to take a 10-week commitment. Now, um, we're going to do life groups three quarters a year. We'll do them fall, winter, spring, and then we'll take the summer off every year, give everyone a nice break. So, um, but it takes a 10-week commitment. Okay, for the 10 weeks of the fall, um, I'll show up. Basic commitment. They say, what if I'm sick? Please don't come. Okay? <laughs> what if I'm on vacation? Have a great time. What if I'm a fireman? Can only come every other week because my schedule changes. God bless you. Come and join us. When I say 10-week commitment, this is not the Gestapo. Okay? I've had people come up to me and say, hey, but we're retired and we travel. 
God bless you. That's fine. Still join a life group. It's not about that. What it's about is, I don't really want to go tonight. You know, it's the finals of American Idol. (laughs) And and I'm just really pulling for, you know. And I, I just... Or what we don't want is, oh, I had a long day. I'm so tired. Should I go to group tonight? No, no, no. We don't want you asking that question. Should you go to group tonight? If you're in town, you don't have a really good reason not to, you're going. And guess what? Guess what? Because you go tonight when you don't feel like it, the person next to you is going to go next week because they don't feel like it. And what you're going to find is every week people are going to come and they're going to be committed. And when you get a committed group of people devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the needs, you got a church, you see? And so all we're saying, the 10-week commitment, is that we don't want people to to decide every week whether I go or not. You know, if you're in, you're in, okay? And the cool thing is, 10 weeks, like how long is that? How bad can it be, really? You know, if it's like, hey, they're nice people, but, you know, I don't really want to hang out with Starbucks with them. It's like, okay, you know, just love them. They're in the family, you know. And then when 10 weeks is over, try a new group. That's the cool thing. It's easy in, easy out. We'll even ask you at the end of the 10 weeks to do an evaluation, and they'll be like, the last question is, do you want to stay in the same group? Do you want to try a new group? Do you want to take a break for group? And it's really easy. And so you don't get in that awkward spot where you're kind of, well, they're nice people, but they're not really my, my kind of people. But if I don't go, they're going to call me every week until I do. And it's so awkward. It takes away the fear factor. Okay. So it takes a 10-week commitment. What else does it take? Number two. It takes 30 to 60 minutes of homework a week. Now, some groups will be a little more, some a little less, some weeks of area or whatever. But we're designing the homework to take 30 or 60 weeks. Now, I mean, the weeks. <laughs> uh. I don't know if you. I, I don't know if you remember the when I first came my commissioning week here, and they, I said I would been married to Lynn for ninety nine years. <laughs> Brings back memories. Thirty to sixty minutes a week. Uh, no, why? Why do we do homework? Because we want to be devoted the apostles' teaching. If you spend 30 or 60 minutes going over the homework that addresses the same topic that we've done in our weekend services, it'll be in your bulletin every week, you're going to learn something along the way. And guess what? You're going to have something to bring to your group. It might be a question. It might be an insight. It might be a, a story from your life. See, a group is like a potluck. We'll talk about this more later, but a, a, a group is like a spiritual potluck where everyone brings their dish. Everyone brings what God's doing in their life, you see. Now, some of the groups will, you know, most of the groups are going to do this sermon-based homework we did like last spring, you know, where it goes hand in glove with the weekend message. That's what, and, but there'll be other groups that do special things. One thing I'm really excited about, Crown Ministries. You know, if you're, if you're in debt, you're uh, having a hard time getting out of debt, and you wanna, you're a Christian now, and you want to learn how to handle your money God's way and all. We've got a great, we've got three or four groups that are designed to help you do that. Amazing opportunity. Crown Ministries, look for those. We've got recovery groups. We've got special interest groups. We've got groups for different ages. We've got group for, groups for mixed even groups of all ages. 
you know, something for everybody. Okay, number three. The third thing it takes is it takes one decision to sign up. And that's what I'm trying to help you to do. Here's what I want to suggest to you, that this decision, whether to join a life group, is one of the most important decisions you will make spiritually all year. Now, you say, well, Mike, does it have to be a life group? No, no, it doesn't have to be a life group. Well, I meet with four guys every week at Starbucks, 6 o'clock on Thursday morning. We have an accountability group, and we're growing together. It's like, well, great. There's nothing magical about life groups. What's magical is the body getting together. And so if you've got a better way to do this, God bless you. You know, I don't care. But I want you to be a way to be committed to the fellowship, to be devoted to the fellowship. And for most of us here, life groups will be the way that will work best. And you'll have to decide, and you'll say, well, but Mike, it's, it's, it takes, it's a big commitment. Yes, it is. Are you willing to be devoted or not? And you say, but Mike, I've got young kids. And it's expensive getting childcare. I know it is. It should be illegal how expensive. I remember those days when our kids were young and the hassle of getting a babysitter. And, but can I tell you something? If you're a parent and you want your kids to walk with Jesus, the number one investment you can make in your kid's future is to be a growing parent. It's more important than what happens in the weekend services in children's ministry. It's more important than taking them to an Awana someplace. It's the most important thing. If you want your kids to follow Jesus, is you need to be following Jesus. And if they see mom and dad carving out time with their busy schedules to hang out with other Christians, to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to learn how to follow Jesus, they're loving one another, they're in relationship, guess what? Kids do what kids see. And you are giving them the best possible shot at growing up and doing the same thing in their lives. No guarantees. But it is the best investment financially you can make in their spiritual future. Now you say, well, which, which group do I sign up in? Well, I'm glad you asked. You probably received last week, or if you didn't, there's out there this book, Doing Life Together. And in this book, there's over 100 groups that list out, uh, that are listed, different nights, different times, different studies, different age categories, mixed age categories. And you can read through there and you can learn about all the different groups. And you say, well, yeah, but aren't some of those already filling up? Well, of course, because if you haven't signed up yet, then, you know, it's like we already had Saturday night. They're getting some of the groups, so you need to get with it. So every week we'll put inside your bulletin this sheet that will just say, here's all the current groups with updated information, if there's any mistakes made, and it also will tell you all the groups that currently have openings. And every week, of course, there'll be less groups on the list as they fill up. And so you can check this list, compare it with this list, and find a group that works for you. Hey, I'm excited about this series. Next week, we're going to talk about the metaphors of the movement. You know, a metaphor is like a word picture. Every movement has its metaphors. You know, Martin Luther King, we'll talk about this next week. I've got a dream. The dream becomes the metaphor of the movement, you know. Well, guess what? God has some metaphors for his movement. His metaphors in the New Testament define the dream. They define the goal. They define the target. 
Next week, we're going to be studying those. But you know what? Today, we've gotten back to opening day of ancient church, day one. It's a day that started like any other day, going to house to pray, and it ended with a church being born. 3,000 new baby Christians all jumping in the water at the same time with all these new instincts, all these new priorities. We don't know anything. This is all new. It's new for us. But all we know is Jesus is Lord and something's telling me I need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. I need to be devoted to the fellowship. We need to take care of one another. That's all I know. And we're off and running and they change the world. And that's where we're going at Rocky Peak. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. And God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. I am just so conscious of the way you are leading this church, God. I am so conscious of it. I know the stuff we're studying. It's not stuff I'm making up. I know it's stuff you're downloading to me to download to this, this body. God, we're going back to your word and we're seeing what life was like when you started this movement we call the church. And God, here at Rocky Peak, 2,000 years later, we want to be the next chapter in that story. So we pray you would lead us. We pray that you would teach us our priorities. You'd put in us and reveal in us the DNA of Jesus that we would be devoted to learn how to obey we would be devoted to hang out in iron sharpening iron, help each other grow, and we would be devoted to taking care of the needs of one another. We pray this in your name. Amen. He's going to bring it all together. So there's a cross, and there's a death, and then there's a resurrection, and there's a, a new movement born. And so for every, for every death, there's a resurrection. He's going to bring it all together. Let's stand together. Hey, may this be a church where we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because we have a passion to obey Him. May this be a church where we are devoted to the fellowship. Why? Because we realize we can't become like Jesus on our own. May this become a church where we're devoted to meeting the needs of one another. Why? Because Jesus said it was the ultimate proof that His DNA has been passed on. So on your way out, get tangled up in those booths out there, all right? If you haven't signed up, go out there. They'll give you a hand. Let's do life together this fall. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.